Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reader, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhofer. How you doing tonight, Ben? I am doing uh, fair. Yeah, pretty fair. Same. I've got I've got a little cold. I'm a little little stuffed up. Oh, that's no fun. It's 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 just it's tis the season. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it pretty much is, unfortunately, it, because we're, we're right in the transition of colds to allergies. So, I mean, it's kind of one or the other. Yep. Yep. So. It's just the one of the one of the few constants in life. Right exactly. Now. Oh, gosh. But we're we're back. We're back from uh, a little break. I had mm-hmm. a nice little vacation, which was good. I, Very <laughs> I started needed. a new job. Yes. Uh <laughs> And that was partially the reason why I wanted a little vacation was, you know, get a little little break before before starting the new job. So that's good. Everything's going well with that. But I'm ready to talk some more D&D. And we've got some really fun topics yes. to talk about today. Um, several of them actually listener requested mm-hmm. topics. Um, so we're going we're, we're gonna to talk a little bit about RP. We're going to talk a little bit about telegraphing information. We're going to talk a little bit about our favorite stuff. Yeah. We, we you know, we talk a lot about it, but we don't really dig too much into this is my preference. This is what I really like to do. And I'm really excited for that because um, I don't know if I even know your answers to some of those. I, I'm very excited to see see what we uh, we actually come up with. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm still trying to figure out uh, one of the answers. Really am. It's just one of those things. I'm like, I don't really know. Anyways. Well, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but uh, the first first topic of the night is about telegraphing information. And this kind of was sparked from a Twitter thread by Leon. And I'm. I actually looked up just for the name pronunciation, so apologies if I don't get it quite right. Leon Barlaro. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you go phonetic, totally. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what it that's what it sounded like uh, when I was watching interviews uh, other people had with them. So anyways, uh, they asked 5e players, how do you know that an enemy is actively trying to kill you? as opposed to just trying to harm you. 5e DMs, how do you telegraph this information? Most 5e combat ends in killing, which I think is a shame. I notice at my tables, the assumption across the board is that usually if an enemy is attacking, they're attacking the intent to kill, even if they say otherwise. Give us your stuff or we'll beat you up. Uh, And when players see an enemy threatening them, they usually just feel justified in killing, even if the threat wasn't murder. Um, and they said, I find this to be a problem in Witchlight because while you can solve every encounter with problem solving, many NPCs open with threat and many players respond to threat with combat. And combat almost always means killing, in my experience. Yeah. I thought that was super interesting. I thought that was uh, a really great Twitter thread. And uh, we'll have the link to that one in the show notes because there's a lot of people that dropped a lot of really good advice in that Twitter thread. But I thought it would be really interesting to talk about it here a bit because that that is a really good question because i think and i don't know if this is just the assumption from maybe video games or um just from like maybe uh, just a huge history of D like i i don't 
necessarily have that specific baggage because 5e was my my first thing I ever played but 5e is a very combat oriented that is one of its big pillars and so I can totally see how people would get that kind of assumption of combat equals killing mm-hmm definitely uh, and I mean it, it also a lot of it really depends on what type of of creature you're going up against you know if it's something that is you know a beast or you know some sort of demonic threat or or something where you know the players just see that as oh evil evil must be perched must you know be completely uh, obliterated versus mm-hmm. um you know let's say just a, a members of the thieves guild or something you know it doesn't necessarily mean hey we need to kill everything that we see in front of us you know there are you in a town are you in a forest like what exactly is the situation and and what's going on with this so yeah i i'm with you on that where combat really does tend to lean towards the you know the the killing if you will yeah and honestly that's that's one piece of it but there is a whole lot more interesting stuff that you can do with encounters whether they be combat or non-combat or turn into combat or actually turn off of combat and so one of the things as we need to do as dms is we need to really telegraph our information that we're giving the players well as to threat level uh and as to what kind of a situation they're in and this can start from the very beginning this could start from the beginning of the you know quote-unquote quest uh where it's just like we need you to bring in this person or this group alive Mm -hmm. that that right off the bat tells them okay non-lethal in some in some way shape or form or something like uh these people have been stealing stuff um and it's one of those things where you might not necessarily want to just kill thieves like they haven't been murdering anybody. And and that's that's a, another piece of that telegraphing thing is like, okay, we need you to bring these art thieves in. They haven't killed anybody, but they have been a real pain in our neck. Yeah, exactly. Or like, uh, you know, some sort of spy network or something you're trying to dissolve or break up. You know, it, again, it's something that y- you might want them there just to get information back from them as opposed to, oh, well, it's it's gone and over we have no idea what sort of information they've given we have no information or no idea what we could pull from them you know give give some sort of incentive or reasoning for why (laughs) i mean this is gonna sound weird but why you shouldn't just go up and kill people um and you know a lot of that can partially be you know due to how your campaign is set up in the first place you know what kind of characters do you have um i know in in the group that I DM, like we have a, a paladin loves fighting, loves doing the finishing blow. You know, like this is you know like her style of gameplay because you know everybody has their own type of gameplay. Her style of gameplay, she really loves getting in the action with stuff. We have a cleric who is definitely a lot more. Um, okay, let's keep them alive. Let's find out information. Let's let's do this. And while those those two kind of ideas are kind of um, you know opposing, it works really well because. It gives that opportunity of, okay, we're going to spare this thing or this person or whatever. Um, whereas the person who really does love the combat still gets those really good hits in and really gets to, you know, have their turn playing. And 
based off of the characters, you can kind of see which way they might go. Now, if you have a party that's full of, uh, we'll say, barbarians who solve every single you know fight with an axe to the face, then you're going to need that little bit of extra motivation or a little bit of extra push in order to make sure that it just doesn't end in complete, you know, beheading of every single thing that you're coming across. Yeah. And, and honestly too, uh, it works on the flip side of things because you've got the telegraphing you can do on one side, but then you also have the telegraphing you can do on the enemy side. Things like, um, and especially if you're putting them into a situation where they are at a major disadvantage and part of the point of it is most likely this group will capture the party or something like that. Um, you can easily telegraph information by having the, the leader or the bad guy yell, take him alive. You know, we need, we need information or something like that. We need hostages to where, to where they know that, um, that, it is not their intent to kill them. It is their intent to capture them. Mm -hmm. And then the, the specific things that can be used like that. Other telegraphs um, are using things like instead of enemy killing blows where the damage would start you doing death saves, the enemy blunt damages and knocks you out when you hit zero hit points instead of like... Uh, you know, something that would uh, reduce a, a player character to zero hit points instead of the stab of the sword. They flip it around and sock them across the face with the hilt and knock them out. Yeah. So th that type of thing. And that is another great way of telegraphing that these guys don't necessarily aren't aiming to kill necessarily. They are aiming to capture. I, I mean, I've actually got a really good example of this, and I probably talked about it a little while ago when um, one of my parties got in kind of deep with the Thieves Guild as there was someone in the Thieves Guild who was uh, an, a, a rival-ish adversary of one of the, the player characters and they went down to talk to him and it was a, a little bit of an intense encounter but they were just talking back and forth but then he insulted and attacked and so then it turned into a oh, there's a bunch more of these guys. You're in the Thieves Guild place. <laughs> like, And so I telegraphed throughout the entire fight that, uh, and, I, and I didn't even necessarily have the bad guys say it. I said many times, it looks like they're pulling their punches or it looks like they're not trying to kill you or it looks like they're just attacking to wound and not kill or, you know, stuff like mm -hmm. that. To where it got down to the end <clears throat> and it, the two left standing just kind of surrendered and walked away and let the Thieves Guild people kind of take uh, the people that had insulted them. And then there was a whole little scene at the beginning of the next session of they're in prison and they're talking and interrogating and they have to talk their way out type type thing. And so that's it is it is totally possible to have that kind of gameplay without, I guess, cheesing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you are telegraphing it properly. 
Yeah. And another thing too, I'm like the, the blunt of a, like, you know, hitting someone with the, the hilt of a sword as opposed to the blade, that sort of thing really helps telegraph that. But another thing too, is the weaponry that the, the characters have nets are a thing. Those are used to capture people, you know, have, have them start throwing some nets around trying to, to get everybody captured up, but uh, maybe some bolos or something along those lines to kind of, you know, tie up feet, yeah. trip them. Um, spells. Yeah. Like, like crowd control orbs. spells. Yeah. Work really well. Sleep. A, a force cage, polymorph, yeah. things like that. I mean, uh, that being said, if you are casting spells, you, I mean, you can homebrew it so that you can make it non-lethal, but generally spells are lethal no matter what. Same with projectiles, at least kind of rules as written. Melee is really what you're getting in for, you know, non-lethal damage because you can control that a little more. I mean, unless, you know, you maybe have trick arrows like uh, Hawkeye or, or Green Arrow where it has like, you know, a, a, a boxing glove at the end. and then Yeah, I pull out my boxing face. glove arrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, or, you know, like maybe you've got an artificer made like some sort of like flashbang arrow or something like where you just hit hit the ground somewhere and it stuns people or something along those lines. So there are ways to do it um, just you know, based entirely on, you know, where you are, what the, the enemies have, how they're holding themselves and the communication between them. It, it really is kind of, you know, levels of information that you're giving. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's, it's one of those things that don't be afraid to do that. Don't be even afraid to say, Hey, this encounter is super deadly or say it looks like these guys aren't trying to kill you Mm -hmm. for some reason or something like that or it looks like these guys don't really want to fight but they're kind of being forced to because of something the players did or something like that don't be afraid to give that type of information i think i think as dms in sometimes we get we we get really um I don't think I don't know greedy is the word more uh, close like close fisted yeah. with the information we have. And it's just like it all has to be in world, in RP, in character. And it's it doesn't. It really doesn't, especially if it will help everyone have more fun or help everyone understand the situation more. Because remember, this is all taking place in your imagination. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Like. We're not actually in a sewer surrounded by members of the Thieves Guild Wait, what? that you can look around and read all their facial expressions and see exactly what they're doing uh, with their weapons and that type of stuff. So having descriptors like that or just giving like one or two liners here and there that kind of give a sense of the situation is extremely helpful sometimes yeah i mean you could even do something just as simple as your passive insight is showing you that this person doesn't want to fight you yeah ta-da yeah. make use of that <laughs> passive insight <laughs> yeah you know it's there for it's gotta a be reason good for something yeah exactly it's gotta be good for something. i mean we use passive perception for everything i mean if someone's got a super high passive insight they're a good read of people so they would be able to kind of figure out exactly what's going on uh, is this this drooling hulk of a bloodthirsty evil guy wanting to kill you? That case, maybe. 
um, is this person who like is shaking as they hold their sword and it kind of points at you in a very awkward way? Probably not. You know, it, it's just, it, it, it's all from you. You can describe it however you want. And it's, you know, on the players to kind of react how they will. If, if you're in a group of murder hobos, then you, you might have some issues with them trying to be non-lethal. But then again, we've talked about it before. There are ways to counteract that with repercussions. Yeah. And, and I, that's, I, that was uh, definitely the last point I wanted to make in this is that there are, especially if people don't necessarily seem to be getting it, there are consequences for your for your actions mm-hmm. sometimes. And so you might not be looked on favorably if you go in and like the, this person who's been stealing a lot of stuff, you just kill him in cold blood. Or like the spy network that is more information brokers than fighters or you know the the local street gang bullies they don't like kill people. They just kind of rough them up. You might not be looked on super, super well if you just go in there and murder everybody. Yeah. And so situations like that or potentially consequences for players actions for doing something like that can also be great learning tools as far as, hey, you don't need to kill all the time. Yeah. Worst comes to worse. If it's not working, uh, let's say you're out in the street stopping those bullies or whatever. Um, I don't know, have that person's kid show up and start crying, mom, dad, or whoever that you just killed. And oh, then just, just really just gut punch them to realize, Whoa. oh, shouldn't have done that. Emotional, emotional heartstrings. Yeah. I mean, if, if you have to yep. go there, yep. go there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it in stuff like that. Uh, although that is a very, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very extreme example. But at the same time, uh, it also shows that the world is real. These mm-hmm. aren't just people or gangs or whatever that are just completely detached from everything else and are just there for an encounter. They are actually hooked into the world mm-hmm. somehow. Exactly. And so that can that can really help uh, the immersion as well. Yeah, you're not just using your debug tool to spawn in enemies. You're spawning in enemies with lives. That's right. That's right. They've gotten <laughs> D and D, the life simulator. Yeah, hey, there we uh, go. Um, and so uh, I think that kind of uh, transitions well to our next topic, uh, just kind of on the topic of immersion. Uh, we had a listener kind of write in and ask, um, "Do you have any advice for like players who are having trouble role playing, and also maybe?" Uh, having a lack of confidence, remembering mechanics, so they kind of give up, or anything uh, about helping new players overcome roleplay and mechanical obstacles? I think this is uh, an absolutely fantastic question, and it's one that, surprisingly, we haven't really tackled, at least as a topic, in depth yet. Uh, Ben, so what start, uh, just why don't you you kick us off? What what would you say um, to, to someone who wrote in and asked, asked something like that? Well, um, if you take a look at the notes, I have one word repeated three times in my section. That's all I have in there. And that's communication. And, and 
you know, that that's kind of a big theme that we've talked about in a whole bunch of different situations when it comes to being a player or being a DM and, and just communication and talking to everybody is one of those big, important things. Now, if you're bringing somebody in who's new to RPing and, you know, doesn't really understand or, or feel the concept and stuff, you know, kind of talk to them about it beforehand. Just say, hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, it, it's potentially going to be an RP heavy thing or even you know, if it's not talking about how some people decide to engage in it, you know, uh, I find that's one of the biggest comfort factors that I kind of have to talk people through is how do they describe what their character is doing? You can say, um, you know, in third person, uh, Jojo, the barbarian is walking over to pet the dog. You can say, I'm walking over to pet the dog, or you can narrate it. You know, you see so-and-so, you know, there's, so many different ways and so many different uh, descriptors and, and possible ways to, to kind of work through that. And I find that that's kind of the hardest step to, to get past is having someone be comfortable with being able to describe what they're, they're doing. And then from there, it kind of breaks into how do they speak to somebody else? You know, um, as a DM, I personally like to speak as the characters that I'm, you know, portraying, you know, all the different NPCs or whatever, you know, um, some people might, again, go with the whole, well, Jojo says this. And, you know, it's just how they, they feel comfortable with, with integrating themselves into the storyline. You know, some people might not be comfortable completely encompassing themselves in their character, saying, I, I do this. You know, meanwhile, there might be people in a group who never break character when they're at the table. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things where once you kind of get in there and you feel more comfortable, you're going to open up more. But all of it starts with communicating. And another big thing is just kind of letting them know that no matter what you're doing, we're all still here having fun. If you do something that you don't like, if you if you feel uncomfortable with the way that you're doing it, whatever, feel free, change it up, do what you need to so that you're enjoying yourself. And I mean, that that's kind of the first step that I would go with. Uh, how about you? Like, have you had any new uh, players kind of come in and, and you've had to show them like, hey, this is kind of an RP world and, and how you interact with it? Sure. I, I, I definitely want to echo your communication thing, because um, I think that kind of lays the foundation of everything. And I think especially for for games, this is one of the reasons Session Zero is so important, mm-hmm. because you can kind of lay these ground rules out right at the beginning and just it depends what kind of game you're playing uh, and it depends the people you're playing with um, if you know all the people really well and know their styles you could start out going okay we're gonna really try and make this a heavy rp game um, and that's fine for some people but um, uh, for new people or for some are mixed mixed group that are different levels of roleplay experience one of the things I usually say at the beginning is kind of you don't need to use voices. Oh, yeah. You don't need to necessarily talk in character if you don't want to. I have I have uh, a player I played with for a long time and they don't usually talk directly as their character. They say my character does this or my character does that. And that's fine. And that's their style. And it's it's OK. Um it's, it's usually one of those things where it's just like, I, as a DM, I will probably speak in character. I'll probably use voices, um, however horrible uh, they may be. 
Uh, I second that. Do not. (laughs) Yeah. But do not feel obligated to do that. Like if you want to find a voice and speak in character, 100% I support that. If you want to say my character does this or that because you're not comfortable, that's fine. It's it's all about it's all about making sure that everyone is on the same page so that people can be comfortable at the table at their level, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's one of those things where you may have one person that's all like you said full in on character doing a voice and one person that is third personing it. And that and and just saying what their character does and that's fine cuz eventually as long as that is nurtured and as long as that is accepted, uh, then that person may eventually get comfortable enough to step into the character a little bit more and, and jump in and try first person. And then maybe, you know, try a voice. It's just, it's just one of those things where it may be a progression. And if you start at the third person kind of narrator view of things, Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with that. Exactly. And one of the neat things about that, too, is that um, as they become more and more comfortable doing that sort of thing, they become more in tune with their character, what their character would do, how they would act. And it just kind of opens up more into them engaging more into the game. So, you know, if they they realize, oh, well, if I'm talking, everybody's listening and, you know, kind of paying attention and, you know, they're they're accepting with what stuff that I'm doing. They're going to speak up more. They're going to insert their characters into situations a little more. And then you just open up that world more for them, bringing them in closer, bringing them in with the whole group. And you find that it's so much more of like a partnership in the, the, the storytelling that you're doing, you know, they're able to contribute more along with the rest of the party, just like, you know, as the DM, you're opening up the world for them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And then kind of shifting a little bit more to the mechanic side of the thing, because I know it's a lot to try and do a lot of things at once. If mm-hmm. you're brand new, um, it, it mechanics just take time. They, yeah. they do. Um, the, the biggest thing I usually recommend to players is just learn your character. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need to know everybody else's character at all. Don't Don't even worry about it. Like that, that's their thing. They can, they can figure it out. If you are the type of person that loves rules and loves to learn all the things and you can do that in a way where you're not like constantly like telling or leading on other players what to do with their characters, because that's a, we have, we have talked about that before. That's a whole nother thing. Oh, very much. But if you're, if you're there as kind of an encyclopedia, if someone asks, Hey, how do I do this? Or Oh, I don't remember what grapple means. And then you can jump in and go, oh yeah, that is blah, blah, blah. That is super helpful. That is great. As a DM, I am completely okay with that. Like that is that is not a bad thing. The the only thing the only thing I don't like is when people try and coach other people without them asking. Exactly. For that. Um, but so as a as a player from a mechanics perspective, the biggest thing to do is just focus on learning your character and learning the specific things your character can do. As a DM, there is a little more onus on at least knowing the the baseline rules. That's right? probably a plus. 
Yeah, as, <laughs> as, as a DM, I, I would expect a little more as far as mechanical knowledge. You're not going to know everything. I don't know everything. I still have to look stuff up. Like, there are tons of mechanics and tons of spells. Someone says a spell, I go, cool, that sounds great. What does it do? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know all the spells, but I try to have at least a baseline knowledge of the mechanics. So if someone has a question, then I can at least try and help them. And then if no one knows, it's okay to take a little mini pause and look it up. Mm-hmm. It's or Or as a DM, just make the call and go... I'm not quite sure how that works. Here's how we're going to do it this time. And then when, you know, things have settled down and we're not in such a tense moment, we'll look it up and do it how it's supposed to be in the future. If what I said is not correct. Exactly. Um, As for, you know, working with a player who doesn't really know their mechanics or anything like that, um, encourage them to ask, you know, it, it doesn't stop the game for them to ask a question or for them to, you know, try to figure out how a spell works, how a mechanic works, anything like that. It's very important that they feel comfortable again, to be open to just straight up. Hey, am I doing this wrong? You know, like everybody has to start somewhere. And I mean, if you're at a table with everybody who's new, this isn't a problem because everybody's got questions all the time. If you bring in someone who, you know, hasn't played, ever, but you're playing with people who've been in your group for two, three years, they might feel a little intimidated. So in fact, I actually had this situation. Um, one of my players was pretty brand new, never really played before. And it's one of those things where I was very open saying, if you ever have a question, just ask, you know, whether it's in, yeah. in, in game, at a game, whatever it is. And we've had that's times the, that's the biggest thing, making it comfortable. Oh yeah. We've had times out of game where it's like, Hey, I don't really fully understand this. Or did I do this right? Am I looking at this correctly? And you know, it, it's always been a very positive experience because it's like, um, for example, there was a, a mind control that happened for the first time. And instead of like using their go-to spell, they decided that they're going to go up and try to hit someone instead. I'm like, it kind of goes against what, would happen in the situation i'll allow it because you know you're still controlling your character you're just mind controlled but and then you know one of the other characters uh kind of uh, came up and said you know if you look at it mechanically this is a way for dm to kind of um you know use the you to their advantage like they you know uh, the other player kind of talked about it and everything and it's like oh okay i see what's actually going on here and i'm like cool i didn't really have to do anything with that um, and then make sure more than anything after something like that happens, just say, no, it's cool because everybody's learning all the time. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, um, even in our last session, there was a question, you know, brought up, it's like, Hey, is, am I doing this the right way? And we probably spend a good 10 minutes just kind of talking about different things examples of something similar that happened and you know reassuring that hey you're doing what you consider is the right thing to do at the time and that's all any of us can do in these situations and uh, you know afterwards they came away with it feeling a lot more comfortable with choices that they made as their character uh and it it worked out really well and it just you know kind of grew that confidence and again it all came up just from talking about it asking questions yeah and even from a mechanical standpoint, if 
I, I am very open to flexibility, right? And as a DM, I think, I think that's uh, a, a strength to have, to be open to flexibility. If uh, a player wants to do something or comes with, up with something, but there's no mechanic for it, or they don't know how to do it, or they say, you know, this, this sounds ridiculous, or I don't know how I would do this, but can I... And then it's one of those things where it's like, okay, let's let's figure that out together. There might not be a rule for it. Mm-hmm. Let's let's figure that out together. Let's make something up on the spot that sounds good, that is agreeable for both of us, the and fun. Like again, the the name of the game is fun. I've I've had I've let my players do some fairly ridiculous things in certain situations because dang it, it sounded really cool. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, this might break a few things, but if they can do it, that this was a really cool idea they came up with. It's not a mechanic uh, as as rules is written, but it sounds really cool. Let's, let's collaborate and work together and figure out how we can make this happen. Yeah, and if it fails... It's even more fun and spectacular because who knows, you know, really weird, cool stuff that you can do that's successful is awesome. Really weird, cool stuff that fails. Also awesome. You know, I absolutely yeah. love it. It's like, okay, I'm going to have the barbarian throw me 30 feet over the cliff, grab onto the vine, swing down and, and uh, smack the dragon on the back of his head. Okay, cool. Let's try it. Everybody roll to one. Great. You slide off, hit the dragon's wing. And uh, you're holding on for dear life. Let's see what happens next round. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of those things where, just as a DM, encourage that creativity, mm-hmm. because then that opens if if you if you squelch creativity, or if you always say no, then that really limits player potential and player options. Yeah, for what they are even willing to do in in the game and so even hand even even if it doesn't work like they want or even if uh mechanically it doesn't it it doesn't end up mechanically working exactly how they described it it's still one of those things where you said yes or yes but or yes and and that to me is far more interesting than just going there's not a mechanic for that you can't do that yeah and the thing is fifth edition rules are so not lax but so um flexible yes thank you i couldn't think of the right word for that they're so flexible that you can just turn a basic dexterity role into whatever you want or an intelligence role or anything like that it doesn't necessarily have to be a you know a sleight of hand or a persuasion or something along those lines you can use those stats however you want to make things work. Um, you know, if it just happens that a strength role could also benefit from an athletics role and they're trained in athletics, give it to them. You know, um, that's one of the things where I personally, I, I try to give everybody as much advantage as they can on certain things. And Hey, if they've, they're trained in something, it makes sense that they can try out even weirder or crazier things uh, that they can come up with. I love it. It's absolutely fun. And yes, it might break my scenario, but it's always for the better to let them try and let them know that the world is theirs. You're just kind of guiding them through 
and they're just telling you where they want to go. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and as, as a DM, uh, just talking from a straight mechanics perspective, plan encounters with your players in mind, not, not with them in mind to like counter them, but in mind to allow them to use their cool stuff. Mm -hmm. If you got a monk, Make sure that there's some encounters with arrows. Yes. Or or some oh, so sort of projectiles so. that they can grab and throw back. If you've got, you know, wizards or people with shield, have some encounters with magic missile where shield, the, the thing you don't get to use shield for at all, that just completely negates magic missiles. Like, if if you've got a lot of melee, make sure that you have some encounters where big things get in their face. So that they can they can hit them and not things just constantly shooting them from from a distance, and so it's it's one of those things where you want to always make as much as you can interesting and challenging encounters, but at the same time mechanically try to have scenarios where your players can also shine and use the cool stuff that they have. Exactly. And that helps them learn their character more too, because if they're never using half of their abilities, then when the time comes, they'll forget about it or mm -hmm. they won't know about it. And it's not a bad thing as a DM, especially if you're doing something specific for that to be like, don't forget you have X, Y, or Z ability. Yes. Especially with rogues. They have so much that they can do. Help them out, especially if it's a new player. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Okay, cool. Well, hopefully, hopefully that was helpful. Um, listener, uh, for all the, uh, all the RP stuff and, and mechanical stuff. Uh, it's a lot, uh, even fifth edition, uh, can be, can be a lot. Uh, and it's definitely not as crunchy as something like, you know, Pathfinder or something like that. So there's, there's still a lot of rules. There's still a lot of mechanics. And so mainly just, you know, Focus on you, focus on your character, um, and then you can branch out from there. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we did get an email uh, kind of uh, telling us that they, they enjoyed the podcast and um, they added a question in, which was, I wanted to ask, what is each of your favorite races to play, class to play? and monster to run and why and they said for themselves uh they love lizard folk paladins and they enjoy running shambling mounds which are super interesting uh they i are. think actually one of the coolest shambling mounds uh was on the chain of acheron that matt coville ran for a little while actual play uh they streamed for a little while uh that was the first use of a shambling mound i had seen it was super interesting i have not personally run one myself uh but it does it does make me kind of want to run one at some point. So Ben, what is your favorite race, class, and monster to run? So you had to start with me. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, that's the that's the advantage of of, of the <laughs> taking the reins, yeah. Um I'm gonna turn it back to you though, and I'm gonna say we're gonna just do race first, uh, and then move forward with this. So um okay, okay. now here's the thing. I haven't played all of them, so I can't say. I played an assortment, but for me, 
I, I tend to really like the smaller races. So like, you know, gnomes, halflings, um, the, the small type of the, the Haragon or whatever, the rabbit folk, um, just because I love the idea of them just being these mighty fierce creatures, but in just this tiny little package, um, it, it's, it's just one of those things that it, it just gives me so much joy to think of a, a halfling with like, you know, a, a tiny little mace, but they're able to do like massive damage with it and everything. Um, you know, like fierce warriors, uh, you know, this kind of goes back to, uh, world of Warcraft a little bit, which is, you know, well, I never really played a small race until the Fox people came in, but I love the idea of like a gnome death knight, you know, just this tiny furious undead little thing that goes around and just destroys things and ways lace uh, lays waste to villages with undead armies that it raises and everything. I just, I love the idea of just the, the little fierce character. So I'm, I'm sticking with smaller raced characters for my favorite. I know it's not, the one, but I'm going with it. No, I, I like it. I've always, I haven't yet, but it's, I think the next time I play something, I'm going to play a dwarf. Oh yeah. Dwarves just, I've are always great. wanted, I've always wanted to play a dwarf and I've never played one yet. I don't know what class I would do. Oh, I did but. a dwarven cleric once and he was fun. Oh, I, ha- I had the best time with him. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely want to play a dwarf at some point. Uh, favorite race. This is this is a tough one. Um, and this kind of goes into the class a little bit too, because one of my first characters I ever played, I'm just in, incredibly fond of, and he's he's a uh, NPC in my world currently. Was uh, an Elven wizard, uh, and I absolutely I've talked about him before, Elden, Elden Averiel. And he's very prim and proper, and uh, he's just he's you know several hundred years old, and he's just he was just so much fun to play. One of my one of my favorite characters ever, still. Um, and I so I just I just really liked that. Um, but I think I think it's kind of a tie between that and uh, my Minotaur. I Ooh. love Minotaurs. Minotaurs are just so much fun. It's just. Such an intimidating, imposing, like, <laughs> just, just thing <laughs> like, <laughs> to, to, to be. Um, it, it's so much fun. I have a Minotaur Barbarian that I just absolutely love, whose name is Melnon. And uh, I use him for one shots because he's he, I, his whole backstory is kind of a plane hopping thing. So that's how that's how I explain him jumping from like one shot to one yeah he's my one shot character um and i just i absolutely love him because he's just he's a little bit you know a little bit stereotypical of a barbarian because he's a a big guy but his uh and he's a little like slower to think not because he's not smart he's actually got like a 12 or 14 intelligence just because he likes to really think things through yeah he's very he's very um intellectual and uh what's what's the word like determinative or you know whatever he he really just likes to think things through and he likes to be prepared yeah yeah and so yeah i think so i'll i'll say those two for my for my race race slash class okay my 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 elven wizard and my uh my minotaur barbarian super uh well then i'll jump in with my my favorite class then and 
I've, I've actually had a chance to play quite a few of them, uh, you know, kind of looking back and thinking about it. And I got to say, I really like playing a bard. And I'm lucky that that's what we have in our ongoing campaign for plus five to hit, because I love the idea that they're very versatile, but... And, and so here's the thing. Bards don't really, you know, they're not the big damage dealers for the most part, but they help control the battlefield. And that's the thing that I'm actually really enjoying about this. Um, I feel like there have been moments where I've been able to do like a really clutched move just by doing some sort of, you know, like uh, either buff or debuff uh, during the course of a fight. In fact, in plus five to hit, um, I, I was able to cast slow and it completely changed the tide of battle for, you know, a few rounds. And it made me feel like I was doing something super important uh, as opposed to just, you know, going in, you know, healing people or, or beating, you know, beating people with a sword or whatever. Um, it, it was great for me. Plus, I absolutely love magic. So anytime that I'm playing a character, I want to have some sort of magic involved, uh, even though... You know, when I played a monk, I, I really enjoyed it, but it's it's that little like tiny bit of magic because I'm in a fantasy world that really pulls me in to enjoying my characters a lot more. So, yeah, Bard is just kind of the way to do it. And just because I have one that sings at the moment and tells stories doesn't mean that that's the only way to play a Bard. There's so many different types of Barding that you can have. So don't be intimidated by it, thinking that you have to sing or something, because it is a ton of fun to play a Bard. Yeah, for sure. Oh, gosh. Monster. What is my favorite <laughs> monster to run? Uh, well, okay. I'll I'll jump in. So Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I don't think I can pick just one. Well, see, that's hard. the thing. I can't either. And I have to go with... Well, I have to go with, like, type of monster. So I'll give you that. But then also my favorite thing that I've ever run. And it's something that you can't do constantly. <laughs> So, first of all, type of monster, I love the Fae. Uh, I don't really get to play play them very often. My my characters haven't gone into the Fae Wild. Um, they've come across some pixies, and that's kind of about, for the most part, what they've they've kind of encountered so far. Um, I I just love the idea that the Fae are they're tricksters, that they are incredibly super sweet unless you cross them, and then they are the most terrifying things you're going to come across. You know, there's so much about them that I think is really cool and really interesting. And I'm looking forward to when my players go into the Feywild, which, I mean, it might happen. Uh, I I have, you know, I, I've got a, a breadcrumb uh, quest kind of leading them there, but we'll see if they actually do it or not. Um, and if not, that's fine, too, because I have another campaign after this one, because you know what? I'm enjoying DMing so much that when this one finally ends, we'll do another one. Um, yeah. Now, as for monsters that I've run, that false hydra that I did was one of my favorite experiences. And the thing is, is, it wasn't even playing the monster itself that was the fun about it. It was playing the effects of everything that happened in that town that I was really enjoying. And I mean, it's it's technically not an official D&D monster, but do a search for it, find one, play around with it, and... If you know that you're going to have one in the future, you can start laying those seeds down so early in your campaign that it it really adds to the fun of the reveal. And I mean, I still 
feel bad sometimes about some of the reactions that my players have saying, you know, we're doing this for Gilly or, you know, she didn't have to die. And it's someone that they never met before in the campaign, but they have this attachment to the idea of what she could have been because she was technically in the party most of the game. And it's just one of those things that was, it, it was a lot of fun for me to do. And for me to be able to play for just a long standing thing without ever having them interact with it. It was just, it was amazing. It's one of the the funnest things I've had. I've done so far for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. Super, super cool. Um, for me, it's, uh, again, it's really hard. I think one of my favorite characters I've ever played as a villain was uh, a character, uh, Red Dragonborn named the Harbinger, um, fully custom uh, by me. And it was, he was, uh, it was just such a great villain. I was so sad when uh, he pulled out. Uh, but he was a super fun character, very dynamic, had a lot of different interesting fun things he could do you know legendary stuff uh, bonus actions reactions you know like the the full package mm-hmm. so that you could always be like doing something and so as a dm it was very fun for me to run as well as play because it was it was just a super interesting interesting villain um the avatar of the blood god that was the fi- finale of my first campaign was also incredibly fun to run mechanically um it had been kind of telegraphed it didn't it it didn't have the same like personality as the harbinger did mm-hmm. such but mechanically it was very interesting and very fun to run um uh, generally though uh i love giants giants are super cool giants are fun and and as everybody knows i basically almost always supplement or tweak <laughs> my monsters and and so uh when i'm not talking like necessarily vanilla giants i'm talking about like ryan altered giants but giants in general just are are super interesting and super super cool and then i have to say dragons. i just i'm just so, so in love with dragons i love them so much they're just fantastic they're multi-dimensional they're super interesting um and especially if you tweak them they're, they're very fun to run as well. So yeah, that's my long-winded answer. Okay, I think that works. And and we both have come across some things that are definitely different, which is you know, it shows how different we are as players and DMs. And uh, man, if we ever co DM'd a game, I feel bad oh, for gosh. our players. I feel like that would be super fun. <laughs> uh, one of the things, uh, so. I, I have such such limited time. Um, Rivals of Waterdeep. Um, okay, yeah. Does does some codium. Uh, and they they switch off sometimes uh, per season. Uh, very cool show. I've only seen a little bit of it. I want to watch more. Um, but it's just more not 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 as much of a want thing as it is a time thing. That's yeah. how it is for just everything. Uh, but it is it is on my list, um, and so but they do co-DMing sometimes, and so uh, I think that's I think it's a super interesting concept. I think uh, there's another actual play that does co-DMs too that I just can't think of the name of right now. But it is it is kind of interesting because uh, 
it's a different dynamic. Like mm-hmm. you'd have to, you have to be really in sync. You have to be kind of on the same page for stuff, but at the same time, uh, it could also take some responsibility and some mental load off to share that around. So I think that could be kind of interesting. Yeah, I'd say sure. so. It's something I'd love to try in a one shot. Sure. Yeah, you know what? Maybe for plus five, we'll have to do that. Oh, that would be, that'd be, that'd be interesting. It would be super interesting. Um, I also uh, have not played a paladin before as our listener who wrote in has. And so maybe I'll, maybe I'll do dwarf. Paladin. That is a very classic uh, combination that it would be mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that could be, that could be great. Cause I've always wanted to play a paladin. Mostly for the fine greater steed. <laughs> we know how it is. Uh, all right. So before we wrap up, I wanted to do a community content shout out. And this is this is kind of a, an interesting one because I've just kind of had it in the back of my mind. And I've and I as like disclaimer, I've not played these yet. These are just things that have caught my eye and I'm kind of interested in because um, we talk a lot about fantasy and and such. Uh, we've talked a little bit about World of Darkness stuff before, you know, vampire, werewolf, that sort of thing. This is superheroes. And it's always been kind of in the back of my mind, just kind of a little inkling of, man, it would be so fun to DM a superhero campaign of some sort. Something, you know, something, just, just something about superheroes that is just super cool. Secret identities, um, you know, your superpowers, all that sort of thing, saving the world, having to worry about civilians, you know, all the, that sort of thing, the classic superhero, the movie, the classic Avengers uh, type type movie. And so um, there are a few systems out there that are superhero focused that are not like 5e based or anything like that. Um, so the first one I want to shout out is claim the sky. And so this is a Monty, Monty cook games, um, and we've talked a little bit about some of their stuff before they have their own five E settings. Uh, they have their own system called the cipher system that a lot of their games are based off of. Um, so claim the sky is a superhero tabletop RPG set, uh, on the skeleton of the cipher system. And so it allows you to, you know, make, make superheroes and, and have campaigns, uh, and so basically it's a uh, cipher system is kind of almost like a framework of rules. And then you can make basically modules and plugins for it. And mm-hmm. so this is the superhero version of that. So I, th- I think it's, I think it's super cool. Um, there was a Kickstarter for it a little while ago. Um, but basically you just need the cipher system core book and then the, the claim the sky book to, to get started with that. So I, I want to shout that out. And then by, um, excuse me magpie games uh masks uh a new generation and this is another uh system that is uh superheroes and so uh both those systems i've looked into both of those systems have been especially masks uh, when i've asked like on twitter and such about superhero uh tabletop rpgs uh have been the ones that have been mentioned the most and so if you're looking for a superhero type RPG or that style of game, uh, these are two potentially start. Very cool. I know that superheroes is always one of those things where getting a good rule system for it matters 
because you have to have one that's open enough so that you can have all these different powers and everything in it, but also tight enough that they all work together. So exactly. Yeah. And, and enough to make you feel super heroic. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're full on like actually super powered. Exactly. So yeah, these seem really cool. That's something I want to uh, try out at some point. Yes, I I definitely do. I mean, just because Time. I only want to be Spider Man doesn't mean that I have to only be Spider Man. I could be Web Boy or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's how that works. Yeah, hundred percent. It's something I want to try sometime. So yeah. I thought, I thought, you know, this is this is not. It, it is. I mean, it's called D and discussions, and we do talk about D and D stuff a lot. But I do like to branch out and talk about other tabletop RPG type stuff. Uh, we've talked, you know, a little bit about Star Wars stuff before, World of Darkness, like all these these different things. And so this is that's a that's an area that we haven't um, kind of talked about yet. So I yeah. wanted to kind of throw those out there as the, hey, there are superheroes, uh, tabletop RPGs, and different systems out there. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, check those out. Exactly. We'll have links in the show notes on dndiscussions.com. Yep. Uh, finally, before we get out of here, what have we been doing in our games? It's been it's been a little bit, and I know, Ben, you left us on a cliffhanger last yeah. time. So how did that go? Wow. Okay, so um, just as a, a kind of refresh, uh, my... My players have been sent to the this uh, you know ruined dwarven city. They're trying to find this artifact as well as uh, investigate what's been going on with these these missing ex- excavators. You know, ten in total. So, you know, they get there, went down to what was dubbed the murder hole, because you know, ten people went down, they never came back. <laughs> Go down, they saw these crystals. There were a whole bunch of undead just kind of skittering around them. Didn't bother them at all. They cleared out the undead and then they carried forward uh, deeper into the, uh, in you know, into the darkness. So next session, we started off it's three years later and uh, they've been down uh, helping bring Kembir, this uh, dwarven city, kind of back to life for the past three years. And it was really kind of weird because, uh, you know, last thing that they heard, they were just exploring the city. So, um we started out the session with everybody kind of, you know, doing their daily tasks like they normally do, uh, which we had the, the paladin teaching the militia of, uh, you know, uh, basically it's a small militia. There's only 10 people in it, a mixture of dwarves and humans. And, uh, you know, teaching them this overhand strike, just kind of going over and over again, making sure that their form is perfect. Um, I had the the uh, cleric and our sorcerer. Uh, they were, you know, digging through books, trying to find, uh, for some reason, all these books that they had come across had these extra bits of, you know, runes, like this, this different language kind of just scrawled in them. So they were searching through all these books and sorting them around, trying to find all the ones that had this extra little bit of information in it, uh, as well as a really good uh, dark elf friend who they've, uh, you know, they've known and, and hung out with for the past few years, you know, on this bright and sunny day. Uh, and then our our bard, our Goliath bard, um, she loves, you know, giving, you know, swoopy plane rides to kids. So that's what she was doing, just picking one up, walking him for a little bit, you know, wishing him around and then uh, setting him down and then walking back. And that kid would run back to the end of the line so that they'd wait for their turn again. So, you know, they're just doing these repetitive actions over and over again. And things started kind of being a little weird. 
um, the, the paladin uh, over the course of the three years had come up with like the, this hearing problem where um, like she could hear, you know, the, the people from her party just fine. Other people, she had to like kind of be able to choose to really pay attention to it to, to hear them, which is kind of weird. Um, and then the, the, the bard decided that uh, she was tired of carrying the kids around. But all the kids in one voice insisted that they wanted the wishy plane ride. And uh, she just started getting this headache and then decided, oh, yeah, let's go ahead and carry the kids back around and stuff. So long story short, they're all doing these repetitive actions and it come, it, it's revealed that they have these things over their heads that are like the basically like an octopus body just kind of slowly on their heads, uh, you know, with like probes in their ears, something going down their mouth to, to kind of like enforce this vision of, of reality that's going on. And in actuality, it's the next day from after uh, from when they, they, they actually head into the darkness. In fact, my keen mind cleric, when I was giving the recap of what was happening, I, I started off with something saying specifically, uh, it feels like it was just yesterday that you ended into or that you entered the the murder hole, especially to you, cleric. And uh, it kind of moved forward with that. So they had stumbled into a group of mind flayers that are uh, basically controlling and uh, making everybody do the work for them. They're mining for this, this specific type of ore. And then so the, 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 the training that's happening is actually a pickaxe, like, you know, digging into the walls, the carrying kids was carrying big rocks over, you know, moving them around. Um, searching through the books was actually trying to, to search for the specific type of ore in, you know, like a sifter and stuff. And I had a lot of fun setting that up and figuring all that stuff out. And the players seemed to really enjoy it too. So they basically, you know, ended up killing their, the, the things that were on their head. I, I basically, uh, homebrewed a version of, Hey, this is how mind flares are made, which is, um, you know, there's, you, you put these, like, I, I call them illithid caps, which is basically the head of a mind flare sticks on your head. And then you're able to kind of see through its eyes and everything, but, it, 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 you know, alters your perception and puts you, you know, telepathically linked together. Um, and then it slowly digests your head until it's completely digested. And then you're a new mind flayer. So the reason why the paladin was having problems like hearing other people talk is she has a ring of mind shielding, which one of the, the effects of that is that you don't let anybody speak to you telepathically unless you choose to. So I try to figure out a way to incorporate that in there. Cause I'm like, yeah, I can't just have her take it off. That makes no sense. So had a like little that. fun with that. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, so they, they figured out what happened. Uh, once the, the, the essentially the perception filter was gone, they saw that there were also some Duragar and deep gnomes around doing stuff as well, who had the, the, the illithid caps on as well as some mind flare, uh, you know, overseers walking around. So they ended up kind of breaking free uh, the four of them, as well as the 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 dark elf lady who was with them, and uh, well, this is when it started getting a little tricky because, I mean, they had all their stuff with them because you know they were just, you know, why would the mind flayers take everything away if they're under their control? Who cares if they're carrying their backpacks and and everything around? Mainly because I didn't want to you know have them hunt for them because I'm like I don't want to do that. 
Uh, it's not fun if they realize, oh, we're in combat right now and I don't have anything to fight with or my spellcasting focus or anything like that against three mind flayers and a whole bunch of brain con- or mind controlled things. So went ahead to have the fight. Um, I got some really good like mind blasts off from the mind flayers. My sorcerer was stunned as well as the, the bard. Uh... The Mind Flayer went up to the Sorcerers, grappled, started eating, and was about maybe, I think it ended up being 13 hit points away from just straight up death. Because if a Mind Flayer eats your brain, you're dead. That's it. There's no coming back from that. <laughs> so you have no brain. Yeah. So that was pretty close. Uh, we had some really, a really great combat with that. Uh, once they actually killed the Mind Flayers that were there, they went over the, the the 10 militia people were the 10 excavators that they had missed or, you know, they're, they're looking for. They are able to pull the, the illithid caps off of them. Um, and they're, you know, they were still intact, but they, you know, had like acid burns on their heads and stuff. And, um, you know, some healing magic went into all of them, which was nice. Um, the Duragar and the deep gnomes that were there, they were too far gone. So the Ilthic cap was removed and there was, there wasn't enough left for them to recover, unfortunately. So then like, okay, we got to figure out everything that's going on. We got to clear this place. So first thing that happened is the, the bard went ahead and did a teleportation circle to send all the excavators away to town so that they wouldn't have to worry about, you know, like, you know, sneaking around with them. Then it was great. Uh, the, 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 dark elf wizard that was with them she just didn't alter herself looked like a mind flayer our changeling turned into a mind flayer and then the other three put the illithid caps back on the dead ones onto their head so that they can kind of you know sneak around and everything and then they started exploring and and going around um they came to uh, a whole bunch more of like durgar that were constructing something as well. These, these columns that had had uh, like the, the, the ore that they had been, been mining, which after a nice arcane check, uh, I came up with a stupid name of planium and it's ore that's kind of been used in like gateways to other planes and stuff. Cause yeah, that's how we roll, but they've been uh, basically sounds, uh, I mean, Name things for what they do. Yeah, exactly. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So they've been uh, doing like stone shape and melding them into these these uh, columns, which are basically charging this gateway that they're building. So my players are like, oh, well, they're either bringing, some, or they're bringing something in. Let's stop this. Had another fight with some more mind flares, killed the Duragar, uh, destroyed the gate, the pillars. And now they're, uh, they're heading towards this Hall of Honor where... They think this relic that they're going for might be in there. Basically, when they they walked through before, keen-minded cleric saw something, you know, glowing with holy light in there. So that's kind of what they're thinking. So they're heading that way. And uh, I'm really curious to see how it plays out because I know what's ahead of them, but they don't. But yeah, wow, I, that's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is... um you and I, we had talked about the whole like three year later jump and I really wanted them, you know, wanted to start off the session with them, you know, being, you know, captured like this. And we, we, uh, you and I went over a couple different ways of how it could play out. I never wanted to take agency away from them. And I knew that when we started off with this, they were going to break it pretty fast. You know, I wasn't going to try to 
you know, force them through a whole like week of routine of this or something. Um, so at first we're like, okay, well, if we have just the, the role or the difficulty super high, then, you know, they can, you know, potentially get through it. Then I have to figure out some gaming way of doing this, or I could just not have an upper limit, but then that's taking agency away from them. And it was one of those things where it, we really didn't feel comfortable you and I, when we were talking about this, about um, how we can kind of turn into it until I came up with what if the next session just starts off with this happening? And it worked out really well because one of the ways that the cleric kind of broke free is that he was trying to go through and remember what had happened in the meantime. And he would have like kind of these visions of them being attacked and being overwhelmed and, so I never had to play that out. It just came up in, you know, just different the kind of like, you know, memories that would flash here and there. And it worked really well narratively. And like I said, it's one of those things where I don't, I didn't want to keep them in that forever. So being able to kind of break through pretty fast, like I think they were, and it took like maybe 10, 15 minutes or so before they really started kind of breaking out and, and, and releasing the others and stuff. Um, into the beginning of the game. So it worked out really well in my opinion. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun to just kind of like throw that curveball at the very beginning of the session and then see them, you know, figure it out, go through and then fight their way out of this. So I had a really good time with that. It's hilarious because one of my things is in some ways very similar, but very different at the same time. Oh really? So, so what happened in your session? So, um, so for my second campaign, uh, if you you might may recall, um, the mercenary party is in the destroyed slash slowly rebuilding city of Erangel, mm-hmm. and uh, the clerics uh, had his fun little run in with all of the <laughs> all of his uh, former temple. That's right. Uh, before that's right. he abandoned abandoned his god uh, so unceremoniously, and so he was going to check on his parents. Well, they uh, they went to their his parents' estate. It looked pretty run down and and broken a lot. The uh, Eric Hoker took to the skies, saw two or three people walking around the backyard, um, just kind of shuffling around, looked like maybe beggars or uh, people in fairly tattered clothes. So they walked through the gate and started walking up to the house because he wanted to check on his parents to see what happened. Um, in my case. As soon as they hit the midpoint walking through, I had all of them roll wisdom saving throw. They all failed. Oh. Which was just delicious for me. <laughs> because I expected, the, the way I had worked this out, I expected probably one of them would succeed. Because uh, they were basically going into this illusion. And uh, uh, thank you, Arcadia. I used one of the fun little monsters from one of the latest issues with just just a few slight tweaks that they were really well done called uh, Glasgow's. Um, and I had them do this illusion type thing. Um, and so essentially, once they walked in, uh, they all failed. And I, I assumed one of them would not fail and be trying to snap everybody else out of it. But they all failed, and so they basically open their eyes, and they're in this, you know, perfectly manicured lawn. House is fine. Mm-hmm. His mother is at the door, 
asking them who, him who his the friends are and um you know maybe join us for lunch or whatever and they walk around back and i'm i i'm telling all of them and it's just like yeah man is garfield uh our the cleric is friends and uh bringing you home and looks like you're gonna get some lunch and so <clears throat> Since none of them had actually succeeded, I started throwing in paradoxes. And I was basically waiting to see who latched onto one first. Mm-hmm. And so they get to the back. His dad is there. There's this table set. There's a few, like, servants kind of running things back and forth at the table. Um, <clears throat> and I basically mention... Uh, uh, had said like all that the table was set and ready for him. And my wife actually, who plays our wizard was just like, wait a second. How did they have the table set for all of us? If they didn't know we were coming. And I was just like, make a wisdom save with advantage. And so, uh, drop the DC. She ended up making it and snapped out of it. Uh, and so it just began this, honestly really hilarious like thing of her trying to break everyone else else out of the illusion uh she uh decided to go into the house with this guard and uh the the ranger went with her because uh she was concerned (laughs) that (laughs) that our our wizard was just spouting like this isn't real and stuff like that (laughs) Um, so like a guard was leading him in and then she just attacked the guard and the guard shattered into a million pieces, uh, like glass. Um, and the, the, she got the ranger snapped out of it and then she ran outside, summoned a shadow blade and threw it right at his mom. And so from their perspective, it looked like, it looked like the wizard, this little halfling wizard had tried to murder his mom. Because they can see all the real stuff that's happening uh, and all the illusionary type things, but all the other people couldn't. So half of the, half the party was like, what are you doing trying to protect his, his parents and everything? And they, uh, they finally uh, – and <laughs> the ranger shot one – like it was just like, yeah, that's a great idea and shot one of the, the servants. And I was just like, he gets hit and he starts bleeding. And <laughs> – <laughs> my uh, our wizard was just like no no he's the real one he's a real one <laughs> and then they put two and two together and they figured out that uh those those servants were actually the people they saw wandering around the backyard oh but yeah the ranger just didn't like make the connection it was just like you gotta kill him and, it, and there's no we don't have to get him. and so they just started like trying to stop her from killing these poor people who had just gotten sucked into this this illusion and yeah it was just it was just so so silly and and fun and and it worked out so much better than i ever possibly could have hoped for it to and eventually they they got all of uh all the party members out they made their way to basement where this large dark mass was uh and they fought two of these glass ghosts um that uh did some did some decent damage and turns out were just slowly feeding 
on his parents. Uh, They defeated them. They woke up on the lawn. They ran down to the basement and that's where his parents were lying. Like, like completely emaciated clothes, basically just like rotting away hair falling out. Just like real bad shape. Cause these glass ghosts had just been draining these people for weeks mm-hmm. slowly just slowly and anybody who got caught inside the, the little bubble of of dream or bubble yeah. of illusion so yeah no it was it it worked out really well and we ended with them basically trying to figure out you know how to help help his parents out so well that's cool so yeah that that ended up working really well and it, it was a different method than what you used um but it actually ended up being Kind of almost the same thing since no one made their saves. Yeah. Yeah. So multiple ways of doing something similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was a ton of fun. My other my other party uh is <laughs> uh found out they the little girl with them was a dragon. Nice. Uh a crystal dragon. Ooh. Uh well, crystal dragon wel- whelpling, yeah, actually. Um, because there's uh those types of dragons where they are. And so, um, who was psionically allowing them to, uh, psionically allowed them to help speak the language of the natives, native, uh, Sordanian people, because they didn't, <laughs> none of them know the language. It's a, it's completely foreign to, to, to literally everyone. Cause no one's supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, and so they, they're basically with this, this rebel dude and this small dragon girl who was captured from the the gemstone mines in the mountains and they're trying to figure out what to do uh they're on in this you know giant floating town that's still a neutral party essentially to these three big houses uh has not taken a side yet so they got an audience through their their friend uh to this small private party to try and basically plead their case one get over the hump of you shouldn't be here no one is no outsiders are allowed here mm-hmm. and then two uh we can be of help to you in some way uh to basically fight the power um of this one giant house that's not the not the greatest uh and slowly taking over everything and shifting the balance of power that used to be there. So that's cool. It'll be fun. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for both. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think uh, that's it. That's it for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, It's good to be back. Got some uh, really exciting stuff planned and coming. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you want to find out more, Ben, why don't you tell everyone where we can be reached? You bet. Uh, now, if you have any really cool stories that you want to share or, uh, you know, questions that you have for us and they're, uh, you know, kind of more long form, send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Uh, we read everything that we get and we respond at some point, whether it's weeks later or the next day. You know, it kind of depends on how busy we are because life sucks sometimes. Anyways. Uh, Twitter though, you can find us there all the time at DN discussions. Uh, we both have access to the account. We both read what you say, and, uh, we'd love hearing those stories uh, there as well. So make sure you keep them coming. 
Uh, if you're looking for Ryan specifically, though, you can find him. He is on Twitter at TBKZord. And if you're looking for me, I am on there at Ben Bumhofer. Now, if you want to hear us actually play a game, I did mention it earlier in the show. Uh, check out Plus 5 to Hit. Uh, it is actually a persistent campaign. Uh, currently, we are running through Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and uh, having a blast with it. We just had a new episode come up. So check that out. And uh, I believe we're recording again on Monday. So that episode will be out in another week or so. So, yeah, lots of fun. This show, though, DN Discussions, uh, guess what? There are 61 other episodes, and you can find them on the exact same place that you're listening to this right now. Uh, so make sure to check those out. And one of the great things about D- uh, Dungeons & Dragons and the discussions that we've had, it's all timeless. So if this is the first episode you're hearing and you like it, check out some of the older ones. They're all going to be relevant. Well, they most of them should be. That's the hope. Yeah, I'm thinking so. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't, you know, we, we should have... Uh, you know, the legally says they may not all be relevant. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, so that's it. Make sure to, uh, you know, leave us some uh, reviews. And uh, I'm looking forward to next time uh, we get together, Ryan. Same. Same. It's always, uh, it's always good chatting. As, uh, if, you, if you're a DM especially and you don't have somebody yet, find another DM who yes. doesn't play in your game. Yes. Because it's awesome. Because then you can just spill all the secrets to each other. Yes, there are feedback. There are so many secrets Ryan knows about my campaign, and I'm excited. True. I'm so excited too. <laughs> ben knows a lot of stuff about my thing too. Yes. <laughs> so until oh, very good. Until next time, everybody. Be good to each other. Take care, and we'll see you next time.